This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You know, you got to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, look, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted. Intercepted. The next Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 5.80, the game. The Ducks are still in the playoff hunt, man. 1-0 and after the bye. Yeah, 1-0 and after the bye, yeah. <laughs> Moving on up, right? Or inching on up, I should say. Just got to... Got to continue to navigate their way through the uh, through the SEC bias, which is never easy. <laughs> no, no. Well, I I brought this up on my show last night. The nightmare to me, you could have three SEC teams get in the playoff. Right. It, I mean, it's going to be a tough sell for the committee to do that, but it's totally what you're saying is totally plausible. Right. Um, you know, obviously, if Alabama win, I, I think your biggest nightmare right now is Alabama winning out. Alabama and LSU both winning out. That's your biggest nightmare. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe if Georgia wins out, you know, that that could be – I mean, not only would it be rough to have Alabama and Georgia in there because they're both in the SEC West. You know, they're both in the SEC West. You, There's potentially a, a, a scenario where that could be the case and maybe Georgia or Florida doesn't get in because that's it's it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Morgan needs some help. Let's face it. Ducks need help. They need help. And we're going to talk about it today. Scoop Duck in Hi-Fi taping this on a Wednesday afternoon. I, I appreciate everybody listening and everybody uh, tuning us in on all the apps and everything like that. Also, we're fielding phone calls today. Yeah, we might get a few calls. We'll see. We you never know. Sometimes we get a couple calls. Sometimes we we get we get some and we can't get to them. But uh, you know, hopefully we get a couple. I what, always enjoy them. What time are people jumping on? I I posted eleven thirty to twelve thirty. So okay. in, in the next five to ten minutes, we'll see. Uh, right. See if anything happens there. Yeah, yeah. So ducks win. Yeah. While we're waiting on that, I just want to hit on some other things. Yeah, there's plenty. There's lots. Oregon women. Yeah. Are they the best team in the world? Or what? I mean, I I guess if you're going to claim those rights, there's not any way to dispute that. I mean, to to beat Team USA the way that they did was just phenomenal, and and just to see the way Sabrina Ionescu played, I mean, she was the best player on the court, and you're talking about a team of all stars, yeah, of pros. Yeah. It's just it's absolutely like it, and to further that. You could almost make an argument Ruthie Hebert might have been the second best player on the court. You know, she's up there in the conversation. And I agree. Um, they, they kicked ass. They did. And they did it against the best collection of pro talent on the planet. Yeah. If they can do that to Team USA, what are they going to do to UConn and Baylor and Mississippi State? Like, if they just routed the best college or the best pro team in the country— I think they'll beat every college team in the country. I mean, they should, but you know, again, it's a long season. You know, you you, you trade. They, they were Oregon was at home. That helps for sure. You got to get got to go on the road. And then, as we heard Coach Graves talk about, uh, the Pac-12 was freaking loaded this year. I yeah. mean, it is not going to be easy to navigate. And just like we're seeing with the football team, the Oregon football team, the last three or four weeks, four or five weeks, either way, if you're Oregon women's basketball you're going to get everyone's best shot every mm-hmm. night. Yeah. That is tough. I, you know, so for me to sit here and say they go undefeated, I guess it's certainly possible on paper. It certainly looks like they could or should. But, again, you're going to have some road games. The Pac-12 is freaking loaded, and it just it won't be easy. That's for sure. It would be a hell of a feat if they do, though, considering how good the Pac-12 is. Hey, you mentioned the football analogy. Let's turn that around to football. They're going to get Arizona's best game this week. Oh, yeah. How do you think that matchup goes? I, you know, uh, I've, I know I've said, I probably, I think it's been about four weeks I've said this. I get the feeling that Oregon's going to lose one more game. And then, you know, that'll, you know, and I, I felt that way. And for a while there, you know, I was kind of thinking it might have been Washington State. And then, you know, during that week, from what I heard for practice, I'm like, nah, they got it. And it was close, but Oregon won. Uh, You know, I thought about maybe having trouble with USC on the road. Um, and I kind of went back and forth that week just because it's like, man, you know, USC's a little bit more healthy than they've been. 
it's still USC. They've got the best receiving core in the country, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately for USC, they're still led by Clay Helton. So, you know, that was the <laughs> – that really was the diff- – you know, I was thinking of not, that might have been the game, and I that week it was like, nah, I, I think Oregon's going to get this one done. Um, Arizona's not one I, I had have even remotely on. I know what happened last year. You know, I know Arizona came – you know, Oregon went down to Arizona – uh, had a lot of trouble in Tucson, and uh, I get all that. I was, you know, front and center watching it, uh, watching my board melt down in utter chaos. And, uh, I mean, A, Arizona's not very good. They just aren't. I don't care who the quarterback mm-hmm. is. They're not very good. Right. Um, which doesn't surprise me. I know there was some initial overtures about Kevin Sumlin and Oregon back when Oregon was looking at coaches and I'm sitting here going, please don't hire Kevin Sumlin. It will not work out well for you, Oregon. Because let's face it, my income and 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 my message board and my livelihood are much better off when Oregon's winning, when they're when they're doing well, when they're recruiting well, when they're winning. I get you know more people are, are apt to sign up. More, I mean, when Oregon's losing, right? <laughs> it's it's a it's it's terrible right. until the coaching search begins and then <laughs> then there's a boom and it blows up again yeah so for me you know Oregon making a strong hire at head coach in football is 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 actually a very big key to to you know my business future so I'll put that out there so I'm glad to see Oregon didn't hire Kevin Sumlin because I had a lot of fears uh, and they seem to be coming to fruition down in Arizona I just don't think the Wildcats can hang with Oregon yeah not offensively and 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 op- hopefully hopefully we're going to get into this later, but hopefully Oregon stays hot offensively themselves. I'd love to see them put up some points this weekend. It feels like deja vu to me. Like you mentioned the feeling we had going into that Arizona game last yeah. year, and we were pretty confident. Khalil Tate can't throw. Right. Still can't throw. No. Now they swap him out with the new guy. Yeah. And the new guy can't stop throwing picks. Right. Which was a guy that Oregon actively recruited and mm-hmm. then backed away from, uh, you know, once they got a commitment there um, at quarterback. So pretty, pretty interesting dynamic. Uh, like you said, I, I, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like Kevin Sumlin has ruined Khalil Tate's career. I mean, how was that dude so good and so electric, and now he's older and he's terrible? T- to me. You can blame Sumlin. That's fair because his track record, he's literally never developed a college quarterback. No. Johnny Manziel uh, couldn't figure out a way to start Kyler Murray. Right. Uh, thought Kyle, Kyle Allen was better than Kyler Murray. Yeah. Good job there, Kevin. But I, I still blame Tate because if you remember when they were looking for a coach, everybody said, here's a quarterback that can't throw, yeah. but he's the most electric runner in the country. Right. Why not run the triple option? And and see if you can hire a guy like Ken Numatololo from Navy. Sure. And Tate went out national interview and said, "I'm not running the damn option." Right. No, he sitting. You know, he he's thinking about his draft status. Yeah. And he's thinking about big plays and flair. But Khalil Tate, you're not going to be Drew Brees or Peyton Manning. Right. You're yeah. not a first round quarterback. No. Go be Lamar Jackson. Right. Clearly, that works out okay. Right. Yeah. You can get away with that in the NFL. But it takes the it takes. You know, I was having so here we're going to go off on a tangent. I was having a discussion with some friends earlier this morning that what really seems to separate a a pretty good head coach from a great head coach is flexibility, and it's flexibility in your offense, your defense, your play calling, the way you do things. Yes, you know, being willing to evolve. You know, a lot of these. I'll use Chip Kelly as a perfect example. I think Chip Kelly is an offensive genius, but his stubbornness he keeps in his scheme keeps him right where mm-hmm. he's at. It keeps him from being elite, is my opinion. Right. Now he wanted Oregon. I get all that. I some of that was, you know, a little bit of uh, you know lightning in a bottle caught the uh, Pac-12 down. You know, there was a lot of that. But I think, and I'll say it. I think Mario Cristobal. I think there might be. And I love Coach Chris Ball. Obviously, we've had him on the podcast. I love what he's done. There might be some fair criticisms about certain game management parts, elements to his game. I could see that. But what we see is a coach that continues to learn and evolve. I mean, he's changed the offense a little bit here and there. Not wholesale. It's not like, hey, we're going right. to be power and now we're going to be, you know, option. He's not done that. But certain tweaks along the way, you know, as Jawan Johnson's gotten healthy, they've pushed the ball downfield more. That sort of flexibility, and I'm not just, you know, linking this to Mario Cristobal, 
but that's really a trait of a great head coach. I think Nick Saban, Nick Saban's a tremendous head coach, and we've seen his offense totally evolve. Oh yeah, in the year last four year, or five they're years, they're completely different. Yeah, absolutely, and yeah. that's I mean that is a mark of a great head coach identifying that and being willing to adapt because it is an adapt or die game in college football. And, and you mentioned Mario. I think he's a perfect example of this. In the off season, when we when we spoke to him, he said. I'm going to meet with the Rams. I'm going to meet with the Patriots. I'm sure. going to go to the Saints. I'm going to see all these NFL teams and see what I can take. And I don't think a Chip Kelly does that. No. What, I, you I mean, know, yeah. or, or a, a Jim Harbaugh, they're set in their ways. They're going to run what they want to run. Yeah. Those guys aren't doing that. Yeah. And, and then the other thing with Mario, look at how different schematically the defense is from last year to this year. Right. It's a totally different language. It is. Yeah, it's a totally, you know, last year was all man. This year they're very flexible. They do a lot of different things, a lot of different looks. And, you know, uh, that takes a lot for a head coach to go and say, hey, look, you know, during the process, this defensive coordinator might not fully align with everything I'm comfortable with or I'm used to doing, but he's a damn good defensive coordinator for a reason. Let's let him do his job. And that's, again, you know, you and I have talked about this, Dabo Swinney. He does a really good job of letting his coordinators do their job and probably not, you know, messing with their side of things all that often. So, uh, you know, I think as much as I dislike him with the rest of us, you know, Urban Meyer is another guy, very flexible, obviously can win. And I think it takes that flexibility to win. So there's guys like, for instance, part of our conversation with these these guys I was having earlier uh, with was, you know, talking about Jimbo Fisher and Jimbo Fisher, huge contract, you know, is Jimbo Fisher an elite head coach up among the top tier or is he in that next tier? And kind of the argument there was, I don't know that he's super flexible and Mm -hmm. I think that's what limits him. Yeah. So just from what I know, but anyways, that was a tangent. I don't even know what we were talking about. Well, we were talking about Kevin Sumlin. We were having fun. We're having fun. And who's sitting up here? Oregon, Arizona. Uh, Let's look a little deeper at this game because I'm still waiting on calls. I think we got some time. Oh, yeah, we got time. Yeah, we got time. We don't have any guests today, just so folks know. If you guys are sitting here going, gosh, I can't wait for the guests. I don't know what it's going to (laughs) be. It isn't going to be. It's going to be me and Matt, and we're going to try and bang this thing out for an hour. Um, And, you know, we got all this stuff we're going to talk about. You mentioned you want to see the offense stay consistent. I do, Because I think that was a complete performance against USC. Yeah, I want to see more of that in this next three game stand. What do you want to see from them offensively on Saturday? I think your word was was correct initially there, and consistency is the key. I, I, I mean, of course, the the big plays, the chunk plays, the explosion plays are a lot of fun, and they're needed in order to be successful offensively. But you know, I think you want to see Justin Herbert making great decisions back there, um, being able to throw the ball a little bit, and whether that means it's to Juwan Johnson, uh, maybe throwing to the running backs out of the backfield. Um, you, you just want to see that diversity coming out uh, against Arizona. And I guess that's the thing. When you're predictable on offense, it, you know, it means that you really have to be supremely far more talented than the opposing team's defense. And, right. and Oregon probably is uh, you know, quite a bit better talent-wise than Arizona, but it really makes your job tough. So I think those little wrinkles, that little creativity, um, you know, you, I have no problem sticking with the run game. If it's working, uh, which it should this week against Arizona, go ahead and use it. But don't be afraid. Don't stick your head in the sand and just say, we're going to keep running. Go ahead and realize, hey, we still got to open things up a little bit. Uh, that'll push the safeties back. Uh, you know, that'll force the linebackers to, you know, pause for a half second or a second and have to think a little bit. It's just going to make your life a lot easier. So, again, is we uh, here's the thing. We're entering a stretch where uh, I don't know if you well, I only reason I had it on is because I was waiting for the men's basketball game last night. OK. For Memphis. And before was I don't remember what the show was called, but it was basically kind of walking you through the BCS era into the college football playoff era. Oh God. And it was going back and look at some of these scenarios and like, this is how freaking bad this system was talking about the BCS. But I think you are by, I think you are. And even with the human element of the college, here's where I'm going with this. Even with the human element of the college football playoff rankings uh, and, and being humans that are selecting it, you need style points. If Oregon narrowly wins against Arizona, I think it's going to come back and hurt them. And in fact, just to 
you know, for to make my point here, I believe that if you remove the word Alabama from Alabama and you go back and look, they won narrowly against LSU on score. I don't think the game was that close. It was semi-close. They had a chance, yeah. but they missed their chance. They, yeah, and I mean, you know, that last touchdown there was kind of like, a, you know, okay. I, you know, I don't know how I feel about it. But I, I think you're entering a, a part, a stretch here where style points matter. So, yeah, Oregon does probably need a little bit of help. And I suppose against Arizona, you should win. I know if you're Mario Cristobal, you're happy to win by one. You're happy to win by 100, whatever the case is. But from a, a perspective in the college football playoff, if you want to remain, I think Oregon's got to put a put a beating on Arizona. I agree. they got to put a beating on, on the next three opponents, in my opinion. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. No, if, if you have a bad showing, let's say you win the Civil War, but it's a rainy game, it's an ugly game, sure. and you win by a field goal, committee's not going to treat no. you very well. No, and, and you know, you got to fend off Minnesota or Oklahoma or somebody who's breathing down your neck, you know, that to, to fend them off, you're pretty much, if you're Oregon, you have to win uh, very convincingly, and you really, 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 really hope Utah continues to win because you want them to stay right behind you, right where they're at, all the way till you meet them right. and hopefully beat them in the conference uh, playoff game. Got to pad that playoff resume. Have to. You um, have to. You mentioned predictability yeah. on offense and, and kind of getting to a Lombardi football idea of the Ducks are going to run a certain number of plays and they're going to force you to stop those plays. It, it, it got me thinking about a conversation we had back in the offseason mm-hmm. where you said Oregon runs – if you if you take out audibles and you take out the window dressing of formations and pre-snap motion and you just look at what the play is and what the play is trying to do, the Ducks run about 25 plays a year. Right. It's still a simplistic offense. Have you have you seen growth there or is it still that predictable? You know, I think it's reasonably predictable overall. I, I mean, obviously, this would be a tremendous question for like Hith, Hith Liday. Obviously, right. he charts a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, I imagine he's probably not doing that until the end of the season, if I had to guess. But just from my naked eye, I, I really just don't think Oregon's gotten that much more creative. However, the biggest dynamic is something that we'd been pining about for weeks, having a reliable pass catcher that can m- make a catch beyond 10 yards. Yeah, And that's Juwan Johnson coming in the mix. And I think that's Micah Pittman also commanding at least respect for a safety or a corner or somebody to go with them and cover. So, I mean, I think that, you know, a lot of credit to Jalen Red for the season he had, a lot of credit to those guys, but I think that dynamic right there is really, really, really helping this offense, if you will. And we got our first bite on the line, so I'm going to get this rolling. Bring him in. Hey, caller. Hey, this is Seeing Green. How's it going? What's up, dude? How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Hey, so my question for you guys is, um, when you look at the, the guys that we think probably will return next year, I mean, it's not exact science, but, you know, likely, and then you look at the recruiting class as it stands now, based on what we know, what are you most excited about for next year, and what concerns you the most in terms of holes? Oh, uh, great question. So uh, just to kind of make sure I'm on the right track with you is, is kind of like, hey, who from this recruiting class, the current 2020 commits, you know, probably has a good shot of, of, of playing, you know, considerably next year? Is that kind of where you're going a little bit? Um, that maybe a little more broad, a little more broad in, in terms of, okay, when you look at, at Oregon, where are what holes do we still need to fill, whether that be with 2020 JUCOs or, or whatever. Sure. But, you know, based on who we have coming in and who we have coming back, okay. where are we solid and where are you going, hey, this is a problem? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. Um, and I'm not just saying that because you're on the line. Uh, for starters, I think it's pretty clear, and I know, I know we've talked about it on the board at least at least a little bit, but you know, I'd have to say tight end right now is my biggest concern. Um, you know, there's a lot of concern around Seth Figgins and his, his injury status, you know, the injuries he's had all year, yeah. you know, going to last year. So let's just, I mean, whatever we know about Seth Figgins, even if we're just counting him as fully healthy and good to go, I still don't think it's enough. 
You know, I think Patrick Herbert can end up being a guy. You know, what will Spencer Webb be? Will he eventually just kind of be stuck at tight end? Will he be a receiver? Because I fully Mm -hmm. believe next year that he won't be going back and forth, if I had to guess. So in terms of right now, I think think you, A, need Patrick Herbert to continue to develop and get bigger and get stronger and do all, all those things. He's going to be needed next year. And secondly, I know everybody's hot to trot about Darnell Washington, and he's a tremendous talent, no question, uh, at least from a measurable standpoint um, and talent. You got to find a second tight end, and if it's DJ Rogers or somebody else, it's it's you know there's got to be somebody else to come in with Figgins um, there. Secondly, another key area for me, uh, I think it's offensive tackle. I think Oregon's done a really good job of recruiting offensive linemen, but if you go back and look, a lot of these guys are guards, uh, with the exception of, of probably Jonah Tawanu'u. You know, he's 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 going to be a tackle. Uh, Stephen Jones, obviously currently on the team, I know he's played guard this year. I think his best position is at tackle, and he'll probably play there next year. But the reason I say that, obviously, Calvin Throckmorton will be gone after this year, and I think you only have Panay Sewell next year. So you really need some depth and some talent at offensive tackle specifically. That doesn't include the entire offensive line. Uh, it, it's it's really specific to offensive tackle, in my opinion. The last one, um, and, I'll, and I'll say this pretty openly, uh, quarterback. you got to have more dudes. You, I mean, I, It's going to be a battle. It's gonna, yeah, I think Tyler Shuck is going to be a good quarterback. I'm, pretty, I'm fairly impressed with him. But we both know, you, me, and Matt, all three of us here know that Oregon can't enter the season with just Tyler Shuck hoping that uh, Kale Millen's able to come back from injury and counting on Jay Butterfield to be the guy. That's a lot of unknowns there. You know, I could see Oregon dipping into the transfer. Here's the here's the sad part. Jalen Hurts was one year off. If Jalen Hurts had been able to transfer this year, I think he ends up a duck. I mean, uh, if, if yeah. Justin Herbert wouldn't have returned to Oregon this year, I think Jalen Hurts ends up being a duck this year. So that's my feeling on it. It obviously played out just fine. Hertz is having a great season at Oklahoma. You know, Oregon fans pretty fortunate to have Justin Herbert come back. But I, I think you, right. you either need to dip, and dip into the JUCO ranks or you need to dip into the transfer portal. You need a seasoned quarterback coming in. I, I, I agree with you on line and quarterback. That's going to be a battle. I love that you mentioned Figgins in the tight end spot because I haven't seen all these guys play. Yeah. I have seen him play. Uh, Sheldon High School in Eugene just down the road. He's been a ghost this year. Mm-hmm. Great player. Stands out like a sore thumb on warm-ups because he's friggin' huge right. and tall and faster than everybody. But because of the injuries, they never throw the ball. And they never play him at all. Like, we don't know what he's done this year, really, at all. Right. That so, yeah. yeah, it's a huge unknown. Yeah. And a position that Oregon needs. Um, you know, so I guess hopefully that's a few answers there, um, you know, for you at least. You know, we. Yep. Uh, I mean, there's there's always something else. You know, the other other question is we haven't seen Tom Snee this year. Maybe Oregon needs a punter. You know, that's something to, <laughs> to consider. I don't know. I'll ask Mario at the next press conference. Yeah, maybe he needs three of them, right? <laughs> three. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Well, well, all right. That's solid answers. Thanks, guys. Thanks for calling in, brother. All right, bye. I always got to throw that in. I, I'm I'm not as mean as some of the readers are about those press conference questions. But the three kicker questions and the three punter questions and the, the battles on special teams, that's where I feel like those guys go a little too deep in the weeds. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's tough. I mean, obviously, I don't, I don't want to get overly critical because I'm not there every day. And I get it takes time out of their day to go to ask. And if we don't have somebody there to ask questions, we don't get anything asked. Right. So I have respect for that. But, yeah, there are a lot of times. I mean, honestly, you know, they, they are up. The University of Oregon uh, this year and, and started last year, but more so this year, has started recording the interviews and posting them on YouTube. So I'm watching them and, and transcribing them because I so I understand that my readers, you know, some people are sitting at a, a cubicle with a computer and trying to kind of right. work and read scoop duck. A Your little boss bit. is going to fire you. Yeah, you can't yeah. watch a video. You can't listen to the audio. So I transcribe it for some of them, which I see other sites have, have started to do as well now since I started that. But. You know, I've and so I'm listening to these interviews and watching them, and 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 I don't list every question because sometimes it's just like, wow, it's a tough. That's a a stupid question. Yeah, it's a tough question (laughs) day, huh? You know, and I get it. You show up, and you know, there's only so many new things, and you know that you know for as honest as Mario Cristobal is, some of his responses are going to be kind of auto response, somewhat canned a little bit. 
you got to understand that side of things too. But yeah, there's, there's times. And, and it seems like, man, when you hear like basically the same question for like two or three weeks from the same person, you're kind of like, dude, I think, I think, Lay off. I think we've gone over this, right? I think right. we're good. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and so anyways, again, I get it. And you know, I guess it's just the, the media world we live in. It seems like some people are hoping to elicit a response that they can use that might have just the two or three right words for a, a you know, maybe a clickbait headline or something. Right. Looking for that gotcha. That's just never going to come. Right. Um, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I I trust Mario Cristobal as a line coach. I trust the guys he's bringing in. But for me, where line could be a concern next year is just chemistry. Oh, yeah. You have so many. Uh, look at all the reps that this core has had together and know that you're going to lose three or four of them to the NFL. Yeah. And you're probably going to lose Panay next year. Oh, yeah. No so question you are. you've got to build a five-man unit. Correct. That they've never played together. In two years, you're going to have essentially a brand-new starting five for, yeah. the, for all intents and purposes. And the talent's going to be there. Yes. These are These are dudes. Yes, but you still got to develop chemistry. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, just like a basketball team. Those five on the starting line have to develop chemistry like a starting five in basketball. And, it, you know, it's a very, very – and so that becomes – you know, next year, if we're, if we're projecting and looking ahead, Oregon's going to basically have four new starting offensive linemen. You know, they're going to line up to the right of Panay Sewell, all four of them. And you've got Ohio State second week. You know, that, I mean. That's amazing to think about. Right. I mean, that becomes, and, and I get the, I understand the scheduling, and I think the early season scheduling of tough games is the right move by Rob Mullins because he's on the committee. He knows what they're looking at. There's no doubt in my mind he's doing it for a calculated reason. Um, but now you're really playing with fire. If you're Oregon next year, you're going to have a brand-new starting quarterback. You're going to have four new starting offensive linemen. I don't care whatever else happens. That's 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 rough. That's, mm-hmm. that's something right there. Yeah. I was thinking about this last night on the show, and I, I know that the Ducks have made a lot of momentum in recruiting. Yeah. They, they've done a lot of the work ahead of time, so sure. they're probably not going to have to scramble right. this year. But if you reach... You mean unlike USC. Right. Who unlike a USC <laughs> who are getting beat by mid-majors. It's, wow. It's, that's insane, yeah. right? Um, how much of a difference for recruiting would it make if the Ducks reach the playoff? Um, <clears throat> you know, I... I that's a really good question, Matt. I think it's kind of been asked in different ways on the board. And, uh, you know, as somebody who's followed recruiting, I, I, I think here's how I see it. Okay, let me, let's go, let's go, let's go best case scenario. Let's go worst case scenario, right? If you're Oregon and you're Mario Cristobal, uh, I don't think you've gone out there and actively negatively recruited other schools. You've gone out there and sold your vision you know, sold what you're doing, sold, you know, your, your blueprint for this program, you know, you've, you sold a vision, right? And that includes getting better, getting stronger, you know, and really pushing for playoffs. If you're able to go out in the second year and you will have viable proof that you went and did that, that's saying something. Now, being that there's only three or four or maybe five recruiting spots left in the 2020 class, probably not a huge, huge impact on 2020. But it really sets the table for 2021. So the worst case here that I was alluding to is, let's say that, uh, let's just say, for example, Oregon loses one of its next three regular season games. You're immediately knocked out. Of, you're probably out of the top 10. You're probably a top 15-ish team, if I had to guess, 10 to 15. Yeah. You don't have enough strength to pull you up. Like The, the committee is not going to say that's a good Pac-12. They're going to say right. that's a bad loss. No, yeah. You don't get the benefit of being in the SEC. You don't get that love. So if Oregon does lose one of their next three regular season games, I'm not counting the the championship game, that's probably going to bump them out of the top 10. And so you're talking about, a, yeah, on paper, you're still Mario Cristobal say, yeah, we're a top 15 team. And yeah, that's good. But saying we made the playoffs, even if you get your ass handed to you in the first round, there's a huge difference there massive difference okay so at least in in my opinion there's a massive difference there it's going to be eye-opening to recruits if mario Cristobal in his second year gets oregon in, into the playoffs i mean really it's going to be eye-opening at the end of the day if you're just a top 15 team i mean that's not that it's good and 
I'm not taking away from that accomplishment. Right. I'm merely trying to, you know, tell you how that applies in recruiting. I think it's an eye opening. That's a that's a that's a door opening topic for Mario Cristobal. Say, hey, you want to come to Oregon? Guess what? Second year. I told you all I was going to do this and I freaking did it. You know what? What sounds amazing to me, just as a, as a radio guy, and I think you can relate to this as a writer. If the Ducks make it in and Bama doesn't, to me the headline is: Look at what Mario Cristobal built, the blueprint, yeah, and the brain drain from Tuscaloosa. I I think you got um, a little bit. I think you know. Obviously, here's the thing. Here's what we mentioned or mentioned earlier. I I think Nick Saban and the fact that he is flexible and adaptable makes him a, a tremendous. I, I think the winning is a, is a big byproduct of that. He's a good X's and O's coach. He knows, you know, he grinds really hard. All those things are great. Mario Cristobal learned a lot from Nick Saban, came out west. In my opinion, you've continued to sell, if you're Mario Cristobal, the vision of we want to be the Alabama in the West. And why wouldn't you want to be? Right. You're, they win national titles. Yeah, you're ripe to you – are, you are in position to become Clemson of the West. Clemson's destroying the ACC, and that's a terrible conference. And from, from, from second to bottom, that's right. a really weak conference. To, to fit the analogy where you were going earlier, you get a chance to be the next USC. Yeah, you really do. You get to own, I mean, Oregon, uh, you know, in the heyday of Chip Kelly was running through a pretty weak Pac-12 conference. Um, if you're Mario, where I'm going with it, if you're Mario Cristobal, you're wanting to sell that vision. And my opinion is we've seen a lot of top flight recruits leaving the West Coast to go to the ACC, to go to the SEC in this particular cycle. I think the only way to reverse that trend or at least slow it down, which you absolutely need to do, is you need Oregon to be in the playoffs and keeping some of that talent that's going to Alabama, Georgia, Clemson. You need to keep them out west, and you can be the school to do that. You also need USC to be better. I mean, you really do at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, give Oregon another year, sure. Maybe give Helton one more year, give Oregon another year there. But you do need USC to be better. They do need to be able to recruit better and also contribute to keeping kids out west. There's times where I feel like we could just have a bonus podcast that's just Matt and Justin bag on USC. It's They make it too easy is the problem. Yeah. And I feel like a jerk saying that, but they really do. I mean, they. I mean, even their own fans are kind of like... I give up. Right. You know? Well, I, I get it for Trojan fans. Like uh, Jim Rome has always said this of Southern California, your fans can go watch a USC game or they can go watch a Rams game or they can go to a Dodgers game or they can go to the beach. Right. And the beach always wins. Yeah. The beach always wins. There's really hot chicks at the beach. It's <laughs> nice and warm. There's beer and great food everywhere. Right. I mean, you know, this is how bad it. I mean, USC beat Arizona State by five, and they didn't even have Jaden Daniels at quarterback. For that, a, for that's ASU. the most amazing story in the Pac-12. Well, yeah, right I mean, come on, guys. That's a game you should have just, you know, rolled up on them. You really should have. So, you know, I, I mean, I, you know, whatever. Um, it is what it is. You, you, if you're Oregon, I guess point. The point is a major point. If you're Oregon, you're Mario Cristobal, getting to the playoff is a huge selling point for you in the 2021 class. And we've already seen a lot of major interest in that class early on for Oregon. I think they're going to fill up fast, much like they did in this 2020 class. No, no, maybe even faster. Oh, I, I mean, I'm not an expert in the recruiting like you are, but I see a team that they've already done their work. They've, they've built momentum from the previous two classes and You've got this reality now. If you're a great player, you can't make the ducks wait for you. Yeah. If I'm making a like, if I'm making a pie and I'm making it with my hands, you can see it. The, the the listeners can. If I'm making a pie, you know, right now because Oregon basically has, we'll just call it 20 commits, give or take. Oregon's got 20 commits right now. They've only got a spot for three, four, or five more guys. So if you're Mario Cristobal and you're going out recruiting and your coaches are going out recruiting in the bye weeks, you know when they're when they're not out on the road, they're still on their phones texting and messaging and calling these recruits, FaceTiming them every day. Right. So all of that recruiting energy now, because you only have three or four or five guys in the 2020 class, if I'm making a pie, that means you're you like, we'll just say 25% is being focused on 2020 kids. 
which is probably fair, which means that other 75%, Oregon's already able to focus on 2021 guys that they like now, and we're talking about November, and they've been doing that in September and October already. They're developing relationships with key targets in the upcoming class, so instead of having to hit the ground running in February, the foundation's there. A very strong foundation is there. Again, or you know, they're only having to allocate X amount, you know, 25% to 2020, mm-hmm. whereas we use USC as the example. They have, I think, 10 commits, 9 commits, whatever they have. They're still, you know, big pie, 75% on 2020. Right, and, and guys are jumping ship on them. Yeah, they're just trying to plug the holes. And, you know, I mean, UCLA, you, other Washington and Oregon are about the only two that are really able to kind of you know, shift to the 2021 class. And, and Oregon's been able to do that for a couple months now. So uh, if you're able to do and put that much effort and build that much foundation already, and then you're going to cap it off in January as it hits a really key stretcher, it's, you're able to cap it off in January by, oh, by the way, we made the college football playoff. Booyah. I mean, it's big. It's big. All right. So I, again, and one thing I'll say here, because we have everybody's attention. I've been doing recruiting for a long time. And so come August or September, everybody starts signing up. Interest starts building up because football's back, right? So everybody starts signing up, and I get new signups, and blah, 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 that's great, and that's awesome. And they're there for four you're, months, five months. You're talking your readers. I'm talking about a scoop duck. Yeah, I'm getting right. new signups. And then, like, say, late December, January hits, and there's a spike, right? There's a lot of new signups because everybody's finishing their classes. Everybody recognizes recruiting's coming to a close. That's all gone out the window. I mean, go back and look. Oregon's, so, I mean, Oregon's only gotten, I think, I'm just off memory, two commits, I think, during football season. Because they had so many before football season even began. People used to kind of tune out the spring. Like, they'd watch the spring game, wouldn't really follow practice. Recruiting was nowhere to be found, at least in the Chip Kelly days. And we're talking heyday of 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 winning right yeah the halicon days yeah i mean really there was one year where oregon had like maybe half the class by july that's all out the window because you know come march april may and june i'll bet by june oregon has probably two-thirds of its class committed by june and then they're going to get another big push at the end of july when they have saturday night live the big event recruiting event they have so what I'm saying is this thing's kind of transformed into a year-round thing, which is why people kind of mock the SEC, but it's like that in the SEC. Alabama does the same thing. Georgia does the same thing. Those guys are all recruiting, hosting satellite camps, camps. So I'm just saying this stuff's kind of become a year-round thing, which is which is fun, fun for an Oregon fan. So instead of, instead of these big spikes in August, September, January, December, mm-hmm. it's kind of more just a continued growth anymore for the site for me that's amazing and i know that it's that way for other sites too it's not just me but i'm saying that trend has become that way because of how recruiting is so for the people who might listen today and say oh it's mid-february i can tune out now till august you can't i mean you really can't you miss the best you miss almost the best part of recruiting by doing that and the ducks keeping that momentum going hoping it translates to the football field big game saturday against arizona i feel like we hit every angle there uh, you want to so. move I mean, on to five games? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it, again, we're in the golden triangle of Oregon athletics. You got football going on, you got uh, basketball going on for both men's and women's. Sabrina, you got Sabrina, yes, you got a huge win for basketball over Memphis last night. That was pretty tremendous, really. And uh, you know, Memphis continued Penny Hardaway continuing to, you know, basically push the envelope against the NCAA and played, you know, Wiseman last night. I love it. Flipping the bird to the NCAA. I think it's stupid and careless, but you know what? I you know it's not my deal. That's his. I think it's careless in my opinion. There's no. Uh, you are putting your entire season in jeopardy potentially to play this one player and basically drawing your line in the sand against the NCAA. Now the NCAA has to basically go in and, and investigate all the elements to Wiseman playing, and then not only that, they have to basically say okay. Are we going to let other coaches flip us off too, or are we going to show these guys we mean business? I mean, it literally is, yeah. you know, do yeah. we flinch or do we not flinch? I, I thought about it this way. If this had happened to a Stanford or a Cal, the, the freedom that they would have with California's new law and, and the position here, this could break the NCAA. 
Well, this this they're only doing it because Penny brought in the number one recruiting class, and they're wanting to see Memphis, you know, back on the prime state. You know, let's face if this was a like a Boise State that did this, they would have gotten the axe already fallen on them already. Hammer down. Yeah, they would have gotten the hammer down. So, you know, right now I think the NCAA more than investigating anything to do with Wiseman, they're deciding whether they're going to, you know, push back against Penny Hardaway and say. Probably shouldn't have done that, buddy. Or they're going to say, okay, go ahead. Which sets a really bad precedence. No doubt. Just, no doubt. Just like paying football players is becomes a really big Pandora's box. Well, I, I think about when you talk about precedence and, and setting bad trends, I think about the academic scandal in football yeah. a decade ago yeah. where North Carolina players are getting stuff written for them. <laughs> right. Right. And really, they just got a slap on the wrist for it. Right. Meanwhile, USC got the death penalty for what Reggie did, which really, don't get me wrong, I mean, it was wrong, but, I mean, seriously. Yeah. it's the, Figuratively, not literally. Yeah, figure, yeah, no, yeah. Pretty crazy. But, yeah, so, I mean, Golden Triangle, man, the, uh, the women are killing it. I think, I think we hit, I know we hit them earlier, but the men, I just, I, for me, in that game, I don't know about you, I don't know how much you were able to watch, but I saw a very, very, very talented but raw Memphis team with a very raw head coach in Penny Hardaway mm-hmm. go against a fairly veteran group and not by Oregon. Not, okay. So they weren't, they're not veteran to Oregon, but you've got transfers that have played college ball for a few years. Coming right. In. Right. You've got experience at the college level. You, it was an, an, a veteran Oregon group that has really bought into Dana Altman already, uh, which is something we didn't see early last year. And then you saw a veteran head coach. I think, like you just said right there, the biggest takeaway for this Oregon team, last year they were getting contributions from the rawest basketball player I've ever seen, yeah. Kenny Wooten. Yeah. They were getting contributions from a true freshman in, in Liu Kang. Yeah. And they were getting contributions from another true freshman in Bowl Bowl. Yeah, you had Bowl Bowl still. And yeah. now you have a Ducks team with an upperclassman, Peyton Pritchard, running point, yeah. running the show. You've got Francis Socorro who came back, right? And you've got a veteran coach who, like you said, brought in a lot of grad transfers and JUCO guys and guys that have college basketball experience, and they're able to hit the ground running. Yeah, I mean, it helps that you know, obviously Peyton and Duarte have played together before, as as everyone's aware. But it it sure seems you know like the other guys have totally bought in, and I I I, I guess for me, Memphis could end up being last year's Oregon. Probably need to gel, probably need to build some chemistry, probably need, you know, Penny's going to have to grow too himself as a head coach. Right. But that could be a team, you know, come February or March that you're really dreading playing, where I think Oregon was able to, you know, kind of capitalize on the fact that they are uh, a more experienced group already and really playing pretty solid basketball, really. It's uh, last year's team killed me. It was. Pass, 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 somebody jack up a bad shot. Pass, 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 somebody back jack up a bad shot. Right. You're relying on Lou King to bail you out in the corner. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. Bull Bull to, you know, be doing, you know, thirty and ten, you know, every game, which he was doing. And, you know, this year it's it's a much better balanced scoring attack. You know, it could be Duarte that gets hot, it could be a coral that gets hot. Maybe everybody chips in a little bit here and there. I mean, Peyton really didn't show up that much on the stat sheet last night. He had a couple big threes late in the game that, that definitely you know, he was pretty cold early on. And then obviously a veteran guy is able to kind of, you know, work through that slump. But it really wasn't because of Peyton's huge effort last night. Why Oregon won. It was, I mean, it was just, it was really a combined effort and some sloppy turnovers by Oregon. And they were able able to overcome that. And man, I got to work on free throw shooting. (laughs) Early in the year. I think that'll come. It was like 58% or something. If I recall correctly, I think that'll come. That's brutal. But, a good win. I saw Jeff Goodman had him number two on his list yeah. after last time. I was like, whoa. Yeah, top ten. Whoa. Yeah, number two. Pretty crazy. Let's see. I think that's the respect that people have for Dana. It, it's the understanding <laughs> after taking a team to the final four without maybe their best player and then taking the national champ on the ropes in the Sweet 16. Right. You win that game and you go on a final four run. That that was phenomenal from Dana last year. Yeah, an understanding now across the country that Dana Altman is one of those like like you said with college football, of you you said there's a dividing line of Saban and Mario and Dabo and the rest. 
I think Dana is on the right side of the same dividing line for hoops. He's an elite coach. He is. I, I mean, I'm a huge Dana Altman fan. I think he's an elite coach. You're exactly right. And I think the realization is this. This Oregon team, as good as they are now, still going to only get better. Yeah. You know, they're going to get better and better. They're going to continue to develop. And potentially, we're, we're looking at a team that could stay healthy. Uh, who knows if they get – if I mean, they haven't had Enfale Dante yet. You add him into the mix, and you've just kind of bumped them up a little more. And, again, this team's just going to get better. And with that experience, that's going to make them a very dangerous team. And they're probably – I mean, let's hope, let's knock on wood – they're hopefully going to be a fairly consistent team this year. They won't have the huge ups and downs. You know what I mean? Sure, they're going to probably have some losses. I'm not expecting them to go undefeated. But it's not going to be like last year where they lose to Texas Southern. Right, bad losses. Yeah, bad losses. So, And it won't take this unreal run to get them there in the end. I think they'll be consistent and good enough that they're going to always be in the conversation. All right, so men have an impressive win up at Moda last night. Football team playing Arizona on Saturday, and we talked about the ladies at the start. I, I'm so impressed with the program they've built and the trajectory they're on. Uh, Want to talk five games? I would love to. Okay. All right, we do this every week. We pick five college football games that are not Oregon-related. Right. Can't pick the Ducks, because that's the obvious. You're we know you're going to watch that yeah, one. Yeah. Let's give you five more games to watch. Well, we should say we know you're going to watch it if you can stay up that late. Oh, my God. This yeah. Week, yeah. So one of my coworkers, diversion here, he, yeah, he's a Ducks season ticket holder. Right. But he sells his tickets to all but one, sure. usually. And... He'll drive up to Eugene and watch one game a year. His wife picked this week before they knew when the kickoff was going to be. Yeah, you don't. Yeah. And he told me two weeks ago, Matt, I hope we get a 1230 kick. (laughs) I hope we get an afternoon game. I don't want to drive back from Eugene at 10 or 11 at night. Nope. It's brutal. 730 kick. Yeah, 730. He's bereft. I don't blame him. I don't know how people do it. No, it's a brutal return. It's like, I mean, you know, I I mean, I've done it and I I hate doing it. I'll stay in the Roach Coach Motel motel usually if I have to. (laughs) I mean, you know, you're talking about it. And even if I'm not working it, but even if I'm going as, as as a fan for fun, you know, 730 game, game, we'll just say gets done at 1030 and that's being conservative most times. By the time you get out of the stadium, it's 11, 11.30, and then you got to hit the road for two and a half hours to drive back here if you're talking right. about Medford. That's brutal. Right. I am 40-some years old. Two I and a half hours if you're speeding. Yeah, if way. you're speeding. And you got some really you got some really tough stretches there, some you know pretty severe corners and stuff. It you know, I, There's not enough caffeine that, that can keep me awake, not even Mario's Cuban coffee. No, I don't want to do that. No. no I might. I'll have the Cuban coffee, yes. Yeah. The drive, no. <laughs> I, I think about those hotels. I've been to Eugene for more high school playoff games than right. I can count. And uh, I've made the mistake before of getting a hotel room and trying to stay the night. I'll wake up at 5 and I'll drive oh. back to the station. Yeah. And those little roach coaches on I-5 – there's traffic at every hour of the day in Eugene. Oh, yeah. And so you don't get any sleep. Right. That's no, brutal. It's brutal. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but five games. We got five games. Uh, let's. Uh, am I going first or are you sure. going first? Okay. Go first. I'll get a couple in. Okay, here we go. Uh, no brainer. Georgia at Auburn. I mean, I've been talking about that one for a couple weeks. Yeah. Been telling Scoop Duck readers, you're a huge Auburn fan. Not only do you want them to beat Georgia this weekend, you'd love to see them beat Alabama in a couple weeks. Uh, it's a twofold for you. you. Your only loss looks better on paper, mm-hmm. and they help you knock out a couple guys along the way. So you you say you're a huge Auburn fan, yeah, and yeah. I get a little scared hearing that because they beat the Ducks, right? But I'm I'm guessing that you believe a two loss team's not getting in. Well, yeah, I mean, I you know Georgia obviously already has the really bad. I would call it a, a, a semi-bad loss to South Carolina at home. Yes. South Carolina just lost to App State this weekend, so that loss looks really bad. Uh, my opinion, if you lose to uh, if you lose to Auburn here, I, I think you you got a really tough time. I mean, you're gonna really there. There's no way. I'll say this: I don't think there's any way a two-loss Alabama or a two-loss Georgia gets in ahead of a one-loss Oregon. What about a two-loss Auburn? 
I, they're too far behind. I I think Auburn could end up getting. I think if 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 Auburn could beat Georgia, and if Auburn could beat Alabama, I think it ends up putting them right behind Oregon, Utah, Auburn. I think those three would be right in a row, whether they be four, five, six, five, six, seven, whatever the case might be. Then you're going to have Oregon after Auburn has played Alabama. You're going to have Oregon with the chance to play what could be number six or seven, or Utah. That's going to be the separator. Okay. I, th- I think it's going to end up getting close, and then you're go- you have the trump card at the end if you're Oregon. If Utah can continue winning, and you get to the, you know, you're going to get to the conference playoff game. Let's let's be real about that. Yes. The conference champ. Yes. If you're Oregon, you're going to represent the North. I think that's already happened. Yeah, I mean, as long as Utah can keep winning and get get there, you've got a top ten opponent, a top ten matchup. I don't care how you win that game by a point, three points, ten points, a hundred points. That's going to be enough to keep you where you're at. And I think by that point, Oregon could potentially be at four or five, if Auburn does you a couple solids here. Okay, so where's your next game? Oklahoma Baylor, gotta go. So by the way, Georgia is a two and a half point favorite in that game. So clearly, the betters think that that's a close game under a field goal. Wow. So yeah, that's a tough one. Wow. And it's 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 Auburn's the home game. Auburn's the home team. Okay. Oklahoma is at Baylor. I think Baylor's massively overranked. I think they're going to get exposed this week, which is probably a problem for Oregon a little bit. I think Oklahoma's a team you got to watch for a little bit, kind of sneaking up behind you. Right. I don't think they can ever leapfrog you because, again, Oregon and Utah get into a top 10 game in the, in the, in the conference championship game. You're going to get that extra bump there. But I think Oklahoma could get close. To, Oklahoma's a 10-point favorite in that one. So clearly a lot of other folks believe Baylor's overrated as well. I had this game on my list as well. You're, yeah. you're two for two, two in for terms two. Of, of pairing. Because I think about the, the question I read on Scoop Duck the other day mm-hmm. when, when you posted your playoff piece. Somebody asked, hypothetically, if Baylor runs the table, do they pass the Ducks? Yeah, I mean, and that's why I have this game down. First off, you're watching Oklahoma and what they do because they've been pushing up every week a little bit. And like you said, Baylor's a team right now that's undefeated. They're, you know, you probably need them to take a loss somewhere. Uh, their strength of schedule is not very strong, but I, I think, you know, if Oklahoma's a 10-point favorite here, and they are, this game's at 430, by the way, so you should be able to watch that unless you're tailgating. Uh, so far, uh, you know, we've given you two games that have significant implications of, of where Oregon could be headed. Do people still have those portable TVs for tailgates? Oh, yeah. All over. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All over. People, when, I, when I was a kid, we had like a little five-incher that yeah. we would use. Yeah. I see, you know, people with a power inverter plugging them into like the cigarette lighter or, you know, obviously there's a lot of mobile home or RVs, excuse me, that, you know, have them out there. So I'll give you one more and then you can give me a couple. Sure. Uh, you probably have UCLA, Utah. No, no, I didn't have that one. UCLA is freaking playing good football right now. I think there's three straight, if I recall correctly. Yeah. Uh, you got to watch out for UCLA. That's at Utah. And, again, you need Utah to win. If you're Oregon, you need you. I mean, it's not like, hey, let's have Utah lose so we can play UCLA in the conference championship game. I don't think that helps you. You need Utah to keep winning. You need them to stay one spot behind you in the rankings. And you need to whoop their butts in the conference championship game. Yeah, no, so, I, I agree. It's it's relevant for if you want that playoff resume. Yeah, you want Utah to be as good as possible. Here's the thing, though: Utah is a 21 point favorite now. <laughs> They're not giving UCLA much of a chance. Yeah, I still think it's going to be a good game. UCLA is playing pretty good football lately. I I don't know if I'd say pretty good. They're playing better football. How's that? Right. So you give me a couple. What you got? Um. You know, you're you're hitting all the main themes. Yeah. I'm looking at playoff implications with all these games. Right. So Penn State, Indiana. Yep. I did list that one. Okay. I know that they just lost. Right. I know that the Ducks are ahead of them now, but you don't want any one lost teams to leapfrog you. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, your worst case scenario, let's just say Penn State wins this week, they play Ohio State next weekend and win. Now you're looking at a whole different can of worms. Right. You really right. are. It could be two SEC teams and two Big Ten yeah, teams. Yeah, I mean, you it, don't it, want that. it just gets ugly. So, uh, of note, Penn State's favored by 14.5 in that one. Indiana, by the way, is 7-2. and two. 
And, and they're top 25, right? Yeah. This should be a little closer than people think. You, you know what's amazing to me? Indiana, which we think of as the classic example of a basketball school. Right. Terrible at football. Yeah. They're like Duke. Right. Terrible at football. They're going to dominate in basketball. Right. They're in the top 25. Yeah. And the 25 in the playoff rankings is App State. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. Yeah, go, well, the, go back 12 years yeah. when App State beats Michigan, Michigan yep. and say that App State is going to be number 25 in the playoff rankings. Right. After a win over uh, South Carolina. That's incredible. Yeah. Man. No, that's crazy. But no, I think I think 14 and a half is a lot. I think Indiana and Penn State will be a little closer. But who knows? Maybe Minnesota gave Penn State the wake-up call they needed. And there's the other place I'm going. Yeah. Uh, Minnesota, yeah. Iowa, yeah. just because I want to see. I don't I don't believe in this Minnesota team. Me neither. But if you're the Ducks, you, you want all these competitors for the crown out of the way. Yeah. You want to see Iowa steal one from Minnesota. Let's face it. I mean, Minnesota circled that game. Gave They gave Penn State their best game, no question. I still don't fully buy into Minnesota. But I think them winning was definitely a gift Oregon fans should take. I, I, you know, Iowa's favored in that game, by the way, by three points. Wow. Right. So Minnesota at Iowa, Iowa's favored by three. So we're not the only ones thinking Iowa might get the job done. Yeah. And I got to say with Iowa, I love tradition in college football. Yeah. Like when the Ducks play shout. Right. Favorite college football tradition is when they show all the kids from the children's hospital and oh, yeah. the crowd waves at them. Right, that yeah. is the coolest tradition in college football. It is no, that's that, that's tremendous. That's a that's a tremendous tradition. I agree with you. How many games are we uh, uh, a similar this week? Uh, so far, we've had all of them. I wrote down one more. Okay. I, I so here's why I did. I had trouble between Minnesota and Iowa. And Wake Forest at Clemson. And that's my fifth game. Yeah, I figured it was. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we, we hit them all. The only one that you didn't have was UCLA at Utah. Other mm-hmm. than that, we've had all the same. Okay. So, But, again, I mean, these are all games that are very pertinent to Oregon fans. They all have a meaning. I think Wake Forest at Clemson, that's a top 25 game, too, if I recall correctly. Yeah. However, Clemson's favored by 34 and a half points. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so, earlier, you mentioned that you think the Ducks need to win pretty. They need to make a statement to the committee. Clemson's right there with them. Clemson definitely has to. Yeah. Yeah. That North Carolina almost loss is kind of haunting them a little bit. I don't think you can trip up against Wake Forest either. You're, you know, I mean, let's face it. Everybody's basically saying LSU, LSU, Ohio State, and Alabama are better than you. Yes. If you're Clemson. Yeah. They really are. And Georgia's right up your butt. So, I mean, that's what everybody's saying. Two SEC teams, man. Yeah. I'm already, I'm a cynical fan. I've always said, like, my my Raider fandom is pretty dark and depressing. I never expect my team to be good. I as as I'm rooting for the Ducks this year. I don't expect playoff. I expect two SEC teams. Yeah. I hope I'm wrong. I'm almost resigned to it too. It's almost like bracing for what you know is coming, but you're hoping for the best. Right. But let's I mean let's face it. I you know there's too much money in college football. They're going to figure out a way to put two SEC teams in. That's, I mean, that was the whole principle of the BCS was money, 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 money. That's, I mean, I, you know. Yeah, I'm still waiting on Joey Harrington to get that national championship game. Yeah, no kidding, huh? Yeah. But, no, that's five games. Uh, we still have to make our uh, lock of the week. Sure. And we also need to do a player of the game. That's right. Got to circle back to the old Arizona game, which almost seems like we just kind of skipped over it. We didn't, but it feels like it. We hit on it. We but hit on it. Yeah. There's just not much to hit on. I like, know. Again, Khalil Tate can't throw. As much as as I'd like to say, you know, Oregon should be aware because of what Arizona did last year. I think Oregon's fully aware of what Arizona did yes. last year. Yes. Oregon's playing at home this year. Huge difference. Oregon was terrible on the road last year. And, and this is a completely different Oregon team. Yes. Like the defense, night and day. Yeah. The leadership too, just from a player standpoint, not even from a coaching standpoint. Yes. Um, you know, you got you got Troy Dye out there, you know, you got that offensive line group. All those guys are making sure everybody's Toeing the line and being where they're supposed to be. So, and Herbie's a senior now. Yeah, he's not going to let these guys screw up again. No, he's, I think you know. And again, he plays. Re- Herbert tends to re- play really well at home. He tends to struggle on the road. He struggled it out the gate at USC, and then obviously made the switch there, like around the second quarter, which is great. But he'll be at home this week, which is a huge difference. All right, lock of the week. Lock of the week. Ah!
Okay, lock of the week, Ducks, Arizona. Um, For me, this is a Justin Herbert game. This is a game where I think the Oregon offense, with with all those players that have come back from injury and, and started to get rhythm, and then you look at Herbert and you see that slow start against USC and what he was able to make out of it, I think this is a week where they hit fire, and you you see a lot of passing touchdowns, and you see a lot of yardage. So, so I'll say four passing touchdowns, three hundred yards. Okay, and so I, I, okay, gotcha. Four passing touchdowns, three hundred yards. That's good. That would be. I think Oregon fans would be elated to see that. But I agree with you. I think this is a chance to pick apart a pretty weak Arizona defense, specifically in the back end. And if Jawan Johnson can continue playing the way he has been playing, and if you can get maybe just a little bit more out of Pittman or Red or somebody else there, which may have developed over the bye week, right? I think you're really on to some. And I think I think Justin Herbert would love to have a couple big performances to kind of end out, close out this season. I think it'd be a big confidence boost. You mentioned Pittman. He's been so fun. Yes. What I see from him is a lot of yak plays, a lot of yard after the catch. And I, I wonder if that's just they feel like that's his skill set. You know, he's the son of an NFL running right. back. Maybe he's just better in space. Or maybe if they've had all those yak plays and those short throws to kind of get him dancing to set up something deeper. Yeah. No, it's it's certainly um, certainly possible in this game. I, I do think Oregon will go pretty wide open in this one and and let it rip um which kind of lends into mine i'm my lock of the week oregon will win by 24 points or more that's my lock Ooh. that's a lot of points too that's a lot of points against an arizona team because they can put up points i mean at the end of the day they can still run the ball they can still put up points but i think oregon's going to come out big 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 this week and that's a good statement yeah i think that's a resounding statement it's going to look good on paper because let's face it None of those friggin' East Coast playoff guys are going to watch this game this weekend. They're simply going to look at the stat sheet and the final score and say, okay, Oregon, stay where they are at or move up or whatever the case might be. Right, right. 10.30 Eastern kick. Kick, yeah. Those guys ain't watching it. The only one watching it is Mullins. Yeah. Because he has to. And and here's the cruel thing. He's got a gag order yeah. every time the committee talks about He has to leave the, the room. Yeah. So he pretty much has to walk out the room and be like, yeah, so by the way, guys, we kicked their ass. Close the door. <laughs> Runs out. And close out the door, yeah. That's what, is that, yeah. I'd uh, like to see video of that. It'd be funny, by the way. Yeah, I feel, I'm with you. I feel bad for Rob Mullins this yeah. year. The one year the Ducks are good enough to be in the conversation, and he's got the best seat in the house, and he can't use it. Yeah, I mean, he, he's got text messaging just like the rest of us. Player of the game. Player of the game. Who you got? Herbie. Justin Her- Herbert. Okay. So you're going, you're you're double doubling down. I think this is a big week for him. Okay, this is going to be. I, I don't want to call it a statement game because you're supposed to beat Arizona, but I think if he goes out and tosses four or five touchdowns and you know has a seventy percent plus completion rate and three hundred plus yards, that's going to be a game that definitely gets maybe a little bit more Heisman talk swung his direction. I don't know. Heisman Could. talk and and NFL. Yeah, we started yeah. to see the scouts show up. Whole bunch of scouts came out to L.A. Yeah. The eyes of the world are on Justin Herbert and Absolutely. seeing what he can do. And he's a senior now, and he's got the uh, the nerves from that opener in Dallas out of his system. And, you know, he's got the media asking him about the playoff every week. Right. And yep. I think that kind of fired him up. If yep. you listen to the interview he gave the other day where he's saying, guys, I, I just want to talk about Arizona. Yeah. You know, I, I think he's just kind of got a mean streak going right now. And that's a good thing for him. And I think we're going to see some really good football on Saturday. I think I think the to back up what you're saying because I agree. I think the f- fact that he was able to turn things around against USC and finish so strongly the way he did was a major confidence boost for him. Not only because it was USC, but because it was on the road. And let's face it, he sucked to start the game. I mean, he was bad. It was. It was I mean, funny. he was missing yeah. throws terribly. And I, you know, I don't like to pick on him in that way. I'm giving him credit because he turned it around and had a really good uh, rest of the game. It was it was definitely big. So um, for me, my my player of the game is going to be uh, good old Kayvon Thibodeau. Ooh, I think he's going to freaking feast on uh, that offensive line this week. I, I I love watching him play. Oh man, I mean, so many pre- I, his there's so many pressures that he's generating that change. You know, the quarterback's having to account for him and and move out of the pocket and and change his launch point and so many things and he's 
not always sacking him, but he's changing the dynamic of the play so much all the time. Yes. I think that offensive line for Arizona is not very good. I think uh, I think at some point my feeling is Arizona will start out trying to run the ball. I believe they'll get too far behind too early. They'll be forced to go one-dimensional and throw it, and you're just going to say, hey, Kevon, go for it, buddy. Right. Pin your ears back and let them rip. It's, it's kind of like the uh, – the embers of a flame yeah. last week, Kayvon Thibodeau, we saw by my eye, he forced a pick. You're right. He forced a couple false start penalties, a couple holding penalties. There's going to be that week where the ember turns into an inferno and he gets like five sacks. Right. It can happen. They he's got the talent. Yeah. I mean, he's literally a half a step to a step off of having a five sack game almost every week right you know in all seriousness you know maybe five is a little high but three four sacks like every game he's a step or a half a step off just watch and 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 this is hard for some fans i had to force myself off of this when i watched football games growing up i followed the ball right so i'm looking at quarterback running back and who makes the catch and the last couple years i've really forced myself don't follow the ball. Follow the lines. Yeah. Look at the lines. And when you watch the line of this duck defense, five pops out, man. He's making plays all game. Yeah, I mean, he's – and if it's not him, he's commanding such a such attention that he's – you know, a lot of times his, his pass rushes are wide. He's going out wide and coming in. That leaves a huge gap for, you know, whoever's next to him or a linebacker to come through. Yes. Or, I mean, so many different elements. and. You know, so I guess I believe we're going to probably end up with a couple of picks in this game. And as much as that will be credited to Javon Holland or Thomas Graham or whoever ends up with them, I don't think they'll throw at Lenore. It's going to be because of what Thibodeau does to start the play. Yeah. It's going to be a major impact on those picks. I want to see that. Yeah. I'm rooting for that. Yeah. So, yeah, there's, I guess we got a, for me, Oregon's going to win by 24 points. That's my lock player of the game is Kayvon Thibodeau. Okay. All right. You heard it. And uh, obviously, Ducks are going to win, right? Well, yeah. I, well, I said by 24 points. Okay. Yeah, Oregon will win by 24 points or more. I, I, I can't say that, but I will say Ducks win. Yeah. I think this is a big game. I think it's a, a fun game for the fans in Eugene. 7.30 kick. Make it out. And uh, thank you for listening, everybody. I can do this now.